Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today on Fostering Solutions is Mayor Amy Schuler Goodman, who um, happens to be the first mayor, um, first female mayor of Charleston, West Virginia. Mayor Goodman, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Dr. Foster. Thanks for having me. My pleasure to have you here. So tell the audience about yourself. Who is Amy Goodman? <laughs> um, gosh, I am um, I'm a daughter of two teachers. I am the sister um, of my very best friend, Karen. I uh, grew up in a, um, a working uh, family household. Both my parents worked as I grew up. Uh, we were, I think we were probably, the, <laughs> when you say latchkey kids, that was me. <laughs> that was my sister. <laughs> we literally had like little keys, you know, that we had around her. Um, because both of my parents, like so many families in West Virginia, both of my parents worked. And then later on, my mom actually went back to school. And so um, we grew up in a household that uh, we ate. Up, here's how I, I grew up eating out of a crock pot four nights a week. How's that sound? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the so, good news is um, that you ate, you had food to eat, you know. I had yeah. plenty of food to eat for Absolutely. sure. Um, but we, we grew up in a, a household uh, where we worked and uh, our parents went back to school, much like, again, West Virginia families. We uh, spent a lot of time with our grandparents and our grandparents uh, helped raise us. And uh, my family started uh, a business um, almost 40 years ago. And believe it or not, it's a West Virginia business that's still in business, a small business, which is almost unheard of. Uh, to be in business now for that 40 years. Um, but my dad and mom still go to work every day and they're nearing 80. Um, awesome. But I grew up as a, yeah, I grew up as a, uh, sports were really important in our family too. Uh, so I played every single sport offered to women in high school and I played on the men's golf team. So- awesome. We were busy in our house. We were busy. If you, the rule is back then, as it is with my children now, your school is number one, and then sports. And if you're not at school or sports, then you're at work or you're to get a job. And then after all that's done, then you can, you can hang out. So very little idle or. time. It seems like very little idle time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I get, yeah, sure, and. It's funny now that I, I, I say it out loud and I think about, um, and as I tell my, I have two teenage boys, Joe and Sam, and Sammy is 17 and Joe is 19. Um, and I say to them, and as I said to them as they were growing up, my job is to keep you moving, mm -hmm. to keep you busy doing something, because I think that's the only way you find out what, you, what you're good at Absolutely. and what you like. And most of the time, those two things, and you know this, Dr. Foster, most of the things that you like end up being the things you're good at or the things you're good at or end up being the things you like. 
So we were a busy family. That's wonderful, wonderful. So you're the mayor of Charleston, West Virginia. So what do you want the audience to, because I have listeners from other parts of the, of the country and even you know overseas. So what do you want the audience to know about your city? Great, well, there's so much to say. Um, we're a really funky, fun, eclectic, diverse city. We're the capital city of West Virginia. Um, I was telling somebody earlier, and, and sometimes when you say these things, you have to pause and think, wow, is this really where we live? We have 300 pieces of public art. We are home to a live music radio show that can be heard on 300 stations mm-hmm. across the world. And we're home to a world-renowned uh, science and art and music facility. And that's just, that's just like a teeny tiny bit of who we are. You know, we grew up here in Charleston. I mean, it was, um, you know, before mining and people, you know, were mining, we were mining uh, salt. Salt mines. Uh, so salt, yeah, so salt mines were a really big part of our history uh, and building uh, Charleston. You know, obviously we're the seat of government here. We were the seat of banking. Um, the chemical industry um, surrounds Charleston and what's called the Canal Valley, which is where we're, we're centered. And so um, this was kind of the hub and has always been the largest city in the state. Um, industries are changing, as you well know, Dr. Foster. Um, but um, that's how we were, that's how we were built. And as we begin to I think as all cities do, and as all people do, as you grow and evolve, um, while government is still an important part of who we are, business is still an important part of who we are, um, we have become the city, and especially now during COVID, and this crazy remote working and you know socially distant place, mm-hmm. we're coming um, to find that People are moving here because they can have the best of both worlds, right? Still live in a city, but you and I can be on some of the best bike trails in the world in you know 20 minutes and have the best whitewater rafting in the world, top three in the world, just you know 35, 40 minutes down the road, and the best rock climbing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always crazy when I say that, but it's in the world um, at the same distance. So um, that's wonderful. I know we you have a lot. That re- yeah. The city had a remote worker program, and that was oversubscribed. Yeah. But it didn't. Then the money go like in no time for people who wanted. Yeah, it went like hotcakes. Yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting, and you know, I've talked to Brad uh, Smith. Uh, about this, who started the Ascend program here in West Virginia. And so for your listeners uh, and viewers who don't know, the Ascend program is, is basically an incentive, an incentivized worker, remote worker program, right? So we incentivize uh, folks to come and live and work in our city. And so when, right when Ascend was happening, I remember calling Brad Smith, which this is what's so great about him. You can actually get him on the phone. 
mm-hmm. somebody like Brad Smith, who is, you know, strong West Virginia roads, West Virginia guy, got him on the phone. And, uh, and he said to me, what kind of has been now our philosophy, what is the harm in trying something innovative, something new and something nobody else has tried? If it doesn't work, Amy, it doesn't work. Okay. It doesn't so, hurt to try. I feel. Yeah. So what? And so what we did was we partnered with the Charleston Alliance. We put in 50 grand, they put in 50 grand and we said, let's give it a shot. We put out an application to say, if you'd like to live in the city of Charleston, we'll give you $5,000 to come. And we immediately got 75 applications. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, and so our first uh, roots, it's called the Charleston Roots Program. So we were targeting uh, families or people who had moved out, but who had some type of connection to Charleston. My mom still lives here. My sister's here. I went to college, you know, at University of Charleston, or I went to high school at Capitol and, you know, my job took me away, but now my wife and I can, you know, you know, work remotely or what have you. And so the applications came in. Um, we have families now, new families uh, living here in the city of Charleston. We have another round of applications going out. And you know this, Dr. Foster, anytime you try something, there'll always be somebody that says, why do you have to pay people, Amy, to move to your city? Well, <clears throat> that's not, that's not it. Um, it's, you know, one of the young women who um, applied and got it said, this is such a great opportunity for me because I've been wanting to move back, but I'm single. You know, I'm, all my, I'm on my own. What I got in my bank is mine and what I spend is mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, so for a U-Haul to move across the country and then to get a place and the mm-hmm. first month's rent. And then as you well know, you got to put a down payment on right. that or, you know, your first month's rent and deposit. Mm-hmm. which is a large chunk of change um, that sometimes you just don't have in your back pocket. And so it makes it easier. Not only did we do that, but with the incentive, we also tried to, listen, people aren't just coming for money. That, that's not it. There has, right, to right. there has to be something that draws you to, a, yeah, there's gotta be something else. But the other yeah. thing that we found when we were talking to folks was, you know, you may move here because you have roots and you, you know, can have your first month's rent paid for or that kind of thing. But you stay because you make friends at the Y playing tennis or you meet. We had a young, we had a young kid say, um, you know, I'd like to come, but I don't, you know, I don't know anybody at your synagogue. Do you, do you know somebody? How do I just walk in? Do you, great. We'll connect you. And so what we tried to do was say to these applicants, what do you like? What, what's your passion? How do you spend your free time? Uh, if you want to get connected to somebody at the local synagogue, no problem. How about we take you to lunch with the rabbi? Hey, you're a, you know, you like to play tennis. We'll, we'll hook you up with a local tennis group and we'll help you get a free membership uh, for the first six months. So it's not just bringing them here and having that connection. It's also working to make sure that you can become engaged in your, your community with something that you like. like so it's kind of like getting them here and keeping them here and really providing the support yeah. to keep them once they're here. Yeah. So yeah, sure. so it's, a, it's a recruitment, it's a recruitment and a retention, and retention kind of like yeah. in, in the workforce. Like all in one world. package. 
yeah. So talk about your career. You're now in City Hall, you know, um, overseeing our great city. Describe your career trajectories. Like, how did you end up, you know, did you always want to be mayor? You know, I know you've worked in, in, in governments. Like, how did you end up at City Hall? What was that journey like? It's so funny. No, I never wanted to run for political office. The thought literally never crossed my mind. And in fact, I was the one person who said uh, up until just a couple of years ago, I will never run for public office. I was that person. Mm -hmm. um, because I grew up in a, my grandmother, Thais Francis O'Donnell Blatnick, was one of West Virginia's first female senators. Oh. And I remember uh, spending so much time with her, uh, listening and learning from her, because as I mentioned earlier, we, we grew up with our grandparents, their house, you know. And, um, but she worked a lot and was really hard. Um, and I always thought I had, I had an interest in government, I think because of, of her and her passion. She was, she was, I'm only 5'3", Dr. Foster. She was 4'11", oh but she was no shrinking <laughs> violet. Yeah, like if she had something to say to you, you would know it. <laughs> Very clear. Um, but she was a, yeah, right. She was a, you know, she was a single mom of three and, you know, growing up in Weirton Still, um, you know, in the Still Mill communities up in Hancock County. Um, she was raised by a single dad. Uh, so her life was really hard. And so what she decided to do, which is why I admire her so much, is to say, there's a lot of things wrong. Um, in the system, and I'm going to go and do it. So I admired that of her, but I, what I admired out of what she did was um, reading about it, the news and the policy about it. So I actually got into journalism and political science because I always thought, well, I'll be a reporter and I'll write on this because that's what was interesting mm -hmm. to me, just as you are asking questions, finding out more information, mm -hmm. coming up with solutions. And so I, I, um, I went to school to be a broadcast journalist mm -hmm. uh, with a minor in political science. I was the vice president of the student body at WVU. Um, and when I graduated, I went and spent, um, after I graduated, I went to London to work for ABC News as a researcher. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? But it's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it sounds fair. If you would ask my parents, they would be like, "Oh, she's producing world news tonight." Well, no, she wasn't. She was not. Um, it's you know, but it was great experience because it's exactly what a first job should be. Your first one in, you're the last one out. You get the worst shifts, but you learn the most. I was in a London ABC newsroom in the middle of the night by myself. I'm sure no one knew what my name was. They would say things like, hey, um, yeah, hi. <laughs> so you know they didn't know my name. <laughs> um, but I learned what it was like to write, to find materials, Mm -hmm. in, a, in a really you think our deadlines are tight national news their deadlines and even back then it's you know chop chop um it gave me independence there's nothing like living in a country by yourself where you know no one um 
And so it did that for me. But when I got back, I, I started what I believed was going to be my career in writing and news. And um, then I met uh, on one of my interviews, I bounced around to cities because that's what reporters do when you're trying to go up the chain. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in a jockey for the next market and the next market. And I remember it was like yesterday because it's right outside my window. I interviewed the late G. Kemp Milton. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought he was great. He was the mayor when I first started reporting here. And then I got a call a couple of weeks later from some of his team members to say, hey, would you like to come to lunch with us? The mayor wants to talk to you. And he offered me a job uh, working as his communications director. So I took it because I thought, well, I can do communications. I can still do politics. It's still the two things I like. And then it just kind of went from there. I have then since worked for uh, congressmen and governors, and I even was a communications director for a presidential candidate. So I just, I got into that cycle, but again, never thought that I would um, actually run myself. And then what happened? How did you (laughs) end up running? Uh, Well, I think, uh, well, not I think, I know, I shouldn't say I think. Most women um, that run or decide to run, it's always comes down to um, anger (laughs) or frustration or, um, you know, you're at your wits end. And honestly, that's, I could make up some grand big story and say, it's always been my passion and my dream. I was just angry. I was really frustrated um, with uh, what was happening. And I um, learned for the first time ever to say, I think I can do a really good job at that. And that's a really hard thing, by the way. I think for anybody, there's nothing more um, exposes you more than to put your name on a ballot. It's like, oh my God, I hope you vote for me. (laughs) It's like, it's like sending out birthday invitations. Like, I hope you come. I hope you come and join me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I was running against, uh, you know, running against the institution and the party and, um, but, but that was most women in that 2016, that's why you saw so many women, Mm -hmm. um, jump up. What's unfortunate though, Dr. Foster is, and I just read, um, a, a report last week where it's not just women, but a lot of folks, especially in this pandemic that have run for public office. Uh, to do things and do things quickly and to make a big difference mm-hmm. were stopped in their tracks um, because of COVID and everything you wanted to do was kind of like, oh, it's on the whiteboard. Oh, well, erase that, honey. That's not, yeah. <laughs> that's not happening anytime soon. So um, I got to be mayor a year, one year, and then COVID hit. Yep. You've been the mayor of taking us through COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about leadership because this podcast series is about leadership. And I know I'm one of those who believes that leaders are made, that you can, you know, learn certain skills and attitudes and behaviors and become a great leader. So what do you, what, what did you have to learn or adopt to be the leader you are today to achieve the success you have achieved? Well, I think all, you know, well, let me start here. I'm asked this question by 
little little guys and gals all the time. They ask it different, you know. Mm-hmm. What do you have to do to be a good mayor? You know, <laughs> what was your job that prepared you the most for this one? And I always respond by saying, because I really do mean this, uh, as as trite as it sounds, being a waitress uh, all through going to school, because we were also one of those families that helped pay for our education uh, by working. Um, you know, you have to be fast on your feet. You have to, you know, first one in, last one out, um, work with people, you know, troubleshoot quickly, uh, friendly, upbeat with people who are super happy with you and super pe- people who are super angry with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that helped me as a job moving on, but for any, uh, but I think that, you know, leadership is learned by the people that you surround yourself with. I tell my kids all the time, you, you will learn and you will pick up the habits um, of those who you surround yourself with. So choose carefully who you hang with and who you admire, because it does make a difference. And my mom always used to say to me, I'm not, I'm not a perfect person. Dad's not a perfect person. And there is no one person or, or truthfully, and I've read all the books. I've read all of them. Trust me. I don't think that there is one person or one book or one statement that just kind of does it for you. I think that my mom used to say, take my good, take all the good from me and the stuff that's not so great. That's okay. You don't have to take it. But as we learn and we pick up these things that we find attractive, that we think, yeah, I like the way she speaks to her employees. I like the way that she engages her team or she um, you know, manages the business. I think those are the things that you grab along the way. Because I agree with you, Dr. Foster. I think that you are, there's, you're not born a leader right. or not a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but the choices that you make, um, you know, helps in that process, depending upon what kind of leader you will be. I just have always surrounded myself with people that work extremely hard, mm-hmm. work extremely hard and are really passionate because if you don't have passion in what you're doing or like what you do, then it's, um, it's really difficult to fake it to be engaged like, do, you really... know, find what you like and do it so you can be happy you know it's like everyone needs to be happy hey dr foster don't tell my 19 year old that he he can skateboard for a living because that's not happening so i hope he doesn't watch this part of the podcast um so kind of continuing there what would you say is your leadership style it's like how do you you know work with your team in terms of, you know, providing direction and getting stuff done for our city? How would you describe your leadership style? Sure. Um, You know, it it is about working hard. It's about being the first one here and the last one to leave. I work nights, weekends, and holidays, and I work seven days a week. And that's not, and that's not, but I will say this, it's a positive I think, but it is also a negative. And I didn't really realize that until I hit my fifties. And so, cause I'm there, I'm there. And um, so, yeah, I think I'm always the hardest working person in the room. I, I do, um, but that's not always a positive. And I'm learning that as I, as I go along, because, you know, um, again, I think with COVID <clears throat> we've lost so many people we love. 
um, and time that it's hard. It's hard to do that. But I will say that, um, uh, I, I, you know, when when people say, oh, I, I don't ask of our team to do anything that I wouldn't do. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 why your name is on the door. That's why you get the office. Uh, that's why you are, are sitting where you're sitting. You should um, be the one who is leading, who is drafting the legislation, who is working on the strategic communications plan, um, who's remaining calm uh, when you know the bottom is is falling out. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm still learning what a leader is for me in my own skin and what that feels like for me. Um, but the only thing that I know to do to motivate people and our team um, is be with them, be engaged and uh, respect them uh, and their work. And just know that I'm, you know, my door besides tonight, cause I have it shut because we're talking. <laughs> I truly, I have an open door policy and I am as accessible um, uh, as anyone in city hall. If you walk in city hall, you can see me today. Or maybe not to today, but soon. <laughs> usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, usually. You know, a lot of us have re received coaching on our journey. Like, what coaching can you think of? Some coaching that you've received over the years that really positively impacted uh, your career. Sure. You know, I think that um, the best coaching um, is watching and learning from the people that you respect. Yes, I've gotten media training from the best of the best. Bill Clinton's folks, uh, Barack Obama's policy team, uh, John Kerry's um, you know, policy group. I think that there's, there's great coaching on a national level, but I think consistent coaching and consistent reminders are the best uh, thing. That's why I, I really, really um, work towards making sure we have mentors here because, you know, I, I you know, coaching for an, an event or coaching as a, you know, people say, oh, should we go to this training? I'm a big believer in trainings uh, and coaching, uh, but modeling is the best way uh, and finding somebody, as I mentioned before, uh, to model yourself after, um, but not only to model yourself after, and this is the hard, this is a really hard part, I think, and I think we're, at least I am, uh, need to be better about it, um, asking those folks to hold me accountable every single day uh, mm -hmm. to the things that I say I'm going to do um, and ask you to do as well. So. Right. Um, awesome. So, and, and you, I think you've touched on some of these, like what would you say are some keys to effective leadership? And you may have, you have touched on some of your keys to effective leadership. Anything you want to add sure. to what you've already stated? Sure. Um, Stop sending emails. Stop texting people. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to do with COVID. We, we are really good at shooting off an email and sending a quick text to somebody. Um, it is technology has been our friend and our foe. I think it has hurt folks who are in positions of leadership because we have become accustomed to doing that. And there is absolutely, without a doubt, uh, the best type of communication is face-to-face. -face. We're humans. 
and I can't read you no matter how great. And I've been to the classes on how to properly send an email to relay <laughs> your, <laughs> your happiness or your seriousness. Uh, that just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, as hard as we try and man, oh day we try. Um, it says the woman who's got an iPhone and iWatch cameras, <laughs> technology is great. Um, but leaders show up because it's also really uh, difficult to show up as well. You, you need to be. It's, it's why we hosted um, here to serve events, uh, again, before COVID, is that anybody could show up and for two hours, ask me anything you want. Troubleshoot with me. Tell me that I've you know, messed up here or find me some solutions there. So uh, definitely uh, that. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other thing I will say is that it is my number one pet peeve when I'm either interviewing somebody or talking to somebody uh, is when they say things like my office or my assistant or my policy or my, it's the my's and the I's and the me's. And I know that's, you know, I, that probably will sit wrong with some folks, you know, well, leadership should be, it is yours. It is me. I, I just, I, uh, looking up to the people that I looked up to, they didn't say that they included us. You will rarely, rarely hear me say my chief of staff or my city manager. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. There are city manager and the cities. Um, you know, finance director. And so I think that's very telling of leaders when they say that. And I think people think, oh, it'll make me sound important that I have people or I have. And it, it, to me, when I hear that from folks, it just makes me think they hear you say that too. Your, your teammates, your right. colleagues, they right. hear you right. say that as well. Um, and you always don't have to be. And so my third and final thing I'll say that I don't think I've said before is, um, uh, Although, and I know this happens to you a lot of the times too, Dr. Foster, I'm always the one that gets shoved to the front. Oh, Amy, get a picture taken with so-and-so. Oh, we need to have you up here. Oh, um, you know, we need you to do this. You don't always need to be the one in the photo. You don't always need to be the one sitting in the front of the room. You don't always need to be. Um, and so give, give those assignments and those duties and allow other people to shine. Um, because it's, it's important for everybody else to have that that time because nine times out of 10, uh, they're the one who did the heavy lifting on Absolutely. something. And just making so. them feel, you know, appreciated and included and valued really. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So, yeah. As we kind of wind down the interview, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started as mayor <laughs> before COVID, you know, you had all these wonderful plans and, you know, I'm sure you, You've had to pivot as the, you know, the, the most popular word of the, the, the pandemic is, but what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started as mayor? This is a sprint. It's not a marathon. Mm -hmm. It's a sprint. So while I was training a little bit for a marathon, looking mm -hmm. at four years, at least four years, I'm hoping, but at four years minimum, um, it's a sprint. It's not a marathon. Mm -hmm. um, and it should be. 
it should be. Right. And so um, I, I um, uh, well, I feel like that first year we were preparing and getting it together. You don't always have time uh, to plan and prepare. And sometimes, you know, perfect gets, gets in the way of good, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and don't read the comments on Facebook. Does oh that count God. as a lessons learned? Amen to that. <laughs> don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. And that's, so let me say this. Don't read the comments. If you call my office or you meet me out or we're talking and you want all day long, you've got suggestions, solutions, or a complaint all day long. But my big, big, big um, worry, it's not even a complaint on mine. It's a big worry for me, Dr. Foster, is we have become um, um, so um, angry at one another. We have become so, you know, you could make one small comment. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you. Well, then now I've got to sit on this side of the room and you've got to sit on this side of the room. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is not the way that we are supposed to be as a functioning society, as a government. I, I know we're wrapping up a very, very fast, quick story. My grandmother, little short senator was, and we were pages always because we loved coming to Charleston with her because she stayed in the Marriott and that meant my sister and I could get our swimsuits and go swim in the Marriott pool <laughs> and eat. <laughs> and she would order cheeseburgers in the hotel room. But anyway, the things you remember, but that was big city for us, right? I mean, that was big city, swim in the pool, go eat cheeseburgers, we loved it. And like it was yesterday, she was standing there and I mean, just red in the face and heated conversation with this guy who I later found out was Senator Bill Sharp. And they were just, you know, over their desks, you know, in the, in the Senate, on the Senate floor. And then mom, um, she says, girls, come on. And we run over to her and she says, you know, we start walking away and she turns and says to him, uh, so as soon as the girls get out of the pool, we'll meet you down there um, for dinner. And he said, okay, I'll see you at tea. They called her, mm -hmm. her name's Thais, but they called her tea. Okay, see you at tea. And my sister and I were like, why would you want to go eat dinner with <laughs> that guy? And weren't you at, but he didn't agree with you. And she said, oh, girls, he's one of my very best friends. He's one of my very best friends. I'm, he's not with me on this bill and I'm not with him and we're tugging and pulling, but he's still one of my best friends. And mm -hmm. that is what we have lost we have oh, lost yeah. and we have to we have to find some way to gain that back and that's why I, I continue to say get out from behind the screen it's hard to say and do in a pandemic uh, but that has allowed us to be um much more angry we're stressed um it's a panicking time um but what's not helping is that connection to one another and that common ground and that middle ground which is really it's easier said than done you know this dr foster especially when you disagree with somebody yeah but it and, and is just, just talk priority right and really if you disagree you know come to the and that's kind of in you know in the bible it's just come to the person and let them know you you have an issue with them not just go out and just you know start spewing stuff so it's it's crazy so as you look to the future yeah. what gives you hope what gives you hope in our city in our state in our you know in our nation, really, what gives you? Yeah, I think as many um, uh, 
many of the fractures that we have um, and the, because we are fractured right now. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Um, I, see, I see my children, these kids that come to my house and I listen to them, they're not fractured. Yeah. They're not fractured. Mm -hmm. um, this, this group that's coming up is not fractured. Uh, so that does give me hope and listening and learning from them. Um, but also um, it's really hard to go through this time and not find compassion and love uh, for those who are struggling. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the kids that are growing up now will have, uh, I certainly hope uh, that empathy and sympathy for their neighbor uh, and understanding. Listen, you, I don't know how you can, and, and we've unfortunately, Booth and I, my husband and I have had to do it, um, not go to funerals of friends of ours that were bearing children or watching your mother on a ventilator. That's just, um, it's heart-wrenching. We lose so many people every day we love. And, um, but on the, on the other side of that, what I see and the hopefulness that I see is that there are people there that are giving their own lives, nurses, doctors, um, who are hovering over the people we love, um, doing everything they can, or teachers in front of the classroom that are literally running nine ways to Sunday, as my mom used to say, trying to make sure that you understood what I was saying and you understand the problem. And if you don't, I'll get you help. And so that gives me hope that even in the times when we are fractured and so much feels heavy, Mm -hmm. There are so many, as Fred Rogers says, right? Look for the helpers. Yes. There are so many helpers. There are so many helpers. And, you know, I thank God for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mayor Goodwin. I always, I like saying mayor. I know folks call you Amy. I was like, you're the mayor. I'm always going to say Mayor Goodwin. So thank you so Actually, much. Actually, you know, I'm most... Yes, you're sweet. Most folks call me Mayor Amy, and I totally think that's cute. I love it. But you call me whatever you want. Just give you, so. give you your respect. I appreciate you for coming on and um, continue, you know, doing the great work that you're doing. I've told you this before. You inspired me because I was living in Cross Lanes ever since I got here. And within the last year, I bought a home in Charleston so I can be a part of Charleston for real. And you inspired me to do that. Yeah. So thank you so much and keep up the great work. Thank you. Alrighty. Thanks, Dr. Foster. You're uh, the best. Bye -bye. Okay, bye.